Morning, church. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open those up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 42 to 47 this week. So last week, we saw Peter's response uh, to some people's reaction to the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit on the early church. We saw the Holy Spirit fall down on the church at Pentecost and there we had the believers begin speaking about the magnificent things of God in languages from people around the world. And this was languages that they didn't know. These were unintelligent Galilean men, uneducated Galilean men. And suddenly people from around the world heard the magnificent things of God being spoken about in their own languages. And many people were astonished by this. They couldn't believe that they were hearing these men speak in their own language, but some of them jeered at that and they said, these guys are just drunk. And in response to this, the Apostle Peter stands up and he gives them a sermon that explains everything that's going on uh, with, with these different languages that's coming out. The prophet Joel from the Old Testament spoke of a time when the Holy Spirit would come and He would enable God's people to speak prophecy and and they would see visions and they would dream dreams. And what they were witnessing, what all these people from all around the world were witnessing was a fulfillment of that prophecy. And after speaking about this, He calls out the people listening to the sermon regarding their responsibility for the murder of Jesus at the hands of lawless people speaking about the Romans. And at the same time, he says that God led Jesus to the cross according to His predetermined plan and His foreknowledge. And so he said there's this weird balance between our free will and God's predetermined plan that works together to ensure that God gets everything that He desires and promises done, and yet we are still responsible for every single one of our actions because God does not violate our free will as He enacts those promises. You make the choice that you were always going to make, but God uses that choice towards His end. So those choices that we make are never going to thwart God's promises. And after hearing this, many of the people who were there for the sermon, they were broken by their sinfulness. The Holy Spirit convicted them of their sin and they were moved by the beauty of the gospel that Peter preached in that message that day. And as a result, Luke says that 3,000 people came to faith that day and were baptized. And this week, we get to see a glimpse of what life in the community of those believers look like in Acts 2, 42-47. This depiction of the church is one of my favorite passages in the entire New Testament. 
The reason that it's one of my favorites is I love the church. I love the corporate church. When I say corporate church, I'm talking about church with a capital C. I'm talking about the people of God that that span across time and across space to fulfill the great commission and to fulfill the great commandments found in Matthew 28 and Matthew 22. I love everything about the church. And I love everything that I see about the church in these verses. I love the mission of the church. I love that seeing that they're bringing people into their numbers daily. I love the community of the church. I love the generosity of the church. I love the awe and wonder of the church and seeing what God is doing through them. I love getting to see a little glimpse of their worship. I love it all. This is, I mean, they're devoted to Scripture. They're devoted to prayer. This is easily one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the entire New Testament. I mean, I can count entire books of the Bible as a passage, right? Like that, you can give me that, right? Because if that's the case, this is easily one of my favorite passages. So, I mean, I pray these words over our church often. Like, after a church service is over, after everybody else goes home, I sit behind in our sanctuary and I pray these words over our church. I pray that God would bring this type of devotion to His Word. I pray that God would bring this type of devotion uh, to one another and to the Lord's Supper and this kind of devotion to prayer to this place so that we could see the Word of God moving in our community so that people would be coming to faith on a daily basis here at this place. And so I, I hope that just even just a little bit of this gets you excited about this passage. So let's read it, and then I'll pray for our time together this morning. Acts 2, 42-47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joy and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, I come before you begging for this type of devotion to the corporate church at here at Oak Grove. I pray that we would be devoted to the apostles' teaching, that we would be devoted to fellowship with one another, that we would be devoted to the Lord's Supper, and that we would be devoted to spending time in prayer. And because of that, we would be people of generous hearts, that we would love spending time together and that when people see this devotion to all these things and our devotion to you, that they would want that and that we would see people coming to faith here daily just as this happens in Acts 2. But none of this can happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And so we pray that the, the Spirit would be present here and that He would pour out here and that there would be much power in the work of Your people here in this place. I ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so the first thing that we should take notice of in our passage this morning is found in verse 42. And it's the attitude of the believers in the church about the life of the church. Luke describes them there as devoted. He says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread, which is Luke's way of saying they were devoted to the Lord's Supper or communion, depending on how, how you want to speak about it. He says they were devoted to prayer. And I, I like this word. The word devoted here brings with it this idea of being persistently obstinate about something. Now, I'm, a, I'm a strong-willed person. I like being persistently obstinate. I bring that with me in a lot of things that I do. And unfortunately, my kids have a lot of that persistent obstinance with them. All right. So if that if you experience any of that from them, you can blame me for that. I apologize. What this means is that there is nothing or very little that is going to get in the way of these things that the early church has found to be of extreme importance. Right? They're going to be persistently obstinate about making sure that each one of these four things is going to be present in their life all the time. At this point in their worship, they've prioritized the apostles' teaching. They've prioritized being together. They've prioritized the Lord's Supper. And they've prioritized prayer. They're not going to let anything stand in their way of this important aspect of their life. They have deemed it too important. If you were to take a moment to assess your priorities, how high up would you say that your personal relationship with Jesus and your relationship with the church lands on your priority list? If the definition of devoted is persistently obstinate, would you be classified as devoted? Would you say that you are devoted to the teaching of God's Word? I mean, how hard is it to convince you to miss a service here from week to week? What would it take? Before COVID happened, we had four opportunities a week to sit under the teaching of God's Word here in some form or fashion. We had three of those on Sunday, either Sunday school, our worship service, uh, our Sunday night service. And then during the week at some point, Kelly and I offered a small group meeting at our house during the week. So you had four opportunities. Now, do you have to be convinced to come or do you have to be convinced to not make it to one of these things? If you have to be convinced to not make it to one of these things, then you might be considered devoted. Would you say that you're devoted to the fellowship of the church? If we have an opportunity for the church to gather together, do you see that as important or is it something that you'll get to if you have nothing better to do? 
right? What would take priority over that? Now, for us, communion is a little different than it would have been for the early church. They would have made it part of a regular meal that the church would have had together on a regular basis. So it works a little bit different for us since we usually add that on to the end of a service. And so we do that differently. So it's hard to ask if you're going to be devoted to the Lord's Supper. Uh, but what about prayer? Would you say that you're devoted to prayer? Would you say that you are obstinately persistent about prayer? Now, to be clear, I'm not presenting any of these questions to make anyone feel puffed up. Because if you're like, yep, I'm killing all of that. I'm knocking that out of the park. I'm doing great. I'm not asking these questions to make you feel good about yourself. If you're on the other side of that spectrum and you're saying, nope, I would not say that I'm devoted to the teaching of God's word. I'm not devoted to fellowship. I'm not devoted to communion. I'm not devoted to prayer. I'm not asking these questions to make you feel bad about yourself. They're simply diagnostic questions. The early church thought that these things were of extreme importance. And so we need to be looking at our life compared to their life and seeing how we're measuring up. These things, if we are to have a healthy church, we are going to have to prioritize the things that the early church prioritized. And so it's only by holding ourselves up to the Word of God and seeing what's important in the eyes of God will we know whether we have a healthy church or not. And so we have to do these diagnostic tests. So as the church is devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer, everyone is in awe as the apostles do many signs and wonders. We've talked about these signs and wonders as we went through Jesus' ministry in our study of the book of Matthew. The signs and wonders are meant to validate their teaching. They're meant to show that the message that they're proclaiming is truly from God. Right? The signs and the wonders are not the point. They were never meant to be the point. They're meant to be an exclamation point. They're meant to show that God is saying what they're saying is true. I'm putting my approval on everything that they're teaching you guys. And as many of these people are coming into the faith, they may struggle with the authenticity of what they're hearing. So they might be going, how can we know what you're saying is true? And while the Lord is taking the opportunity to, in this new ministry, they're ta He's taking the opportunity to validate the message that the apostles are sending out there by giving them the ability to perform some of these miraculous things. And the result is that the church's devotion to one another grows impeccably. They gather together on a daily basis to worship. On a daily basis, the church comes together in order to worship the Lord and spend time together. They're praising God for all that He's doing among them. They're having communion meals together. And according to Luke, they have become an extremely generous people. 
It says in verse 44 that everyone held everything in common. And if there was any need among them, people would sell their personal property and distribute the proceeds to the people that needed the help. To be clear, this is not communal living. All right, This is not where you gather together everybody's stuff, you sell everything off, you put it all in one big pot, and then everybody lives out of that pot. That's not what, what's happening here. If that were the case, then there wouldn't have been personal property to sell in order to help other people out. This is not Luke saying that there is anything wrong with having personal property. What's happening, though, is that people realize that ultimately this world is not our home. This is not the end-all and be-all for believers in Christ. Therefore, they held on to everything that they had with open hands. Everything they had was held loosely so that if there were needs that needed to be met and they had extra, then they, were, they made sure that their struggling brother or sister in Christ was taken care of. There were no outstanding needs within the church. This is the gist of what James was getting at in James 2, 15-16 when he said, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. So James states that it's not helpful to wish people well or to tell people that you'll pray for them when they have physical needs to be met when you have the ability to help them out. Right? When you can meet the need, it's not helpful to wish for someone to meet the need. The church is meant to look out for one another. And the level of fellowship and love for one another that the early church experienced is amazing. And it's apparent that people noticed. Listen to this quote from Tony Morita's Christ-centered exposition commentary on Acts. He says, A few years after Acts was written, a man named Aristides commented on the reasons for the spread of Christianity. He wrote the following to Emperor Hadrian in A.D. 125. If one or other of them have bondmen and bondwomen or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, 
all of them anxiously ministered to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if, they're, and if they have no food to spare, they fast for two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. That's from the Apology of Aristides, volume 15. So you've got the church's love for one another making waves into the community. People were taking notice. They saw what the church was doing and they were impressed by it. And this is exactly how Jesus said it would be and how it should be. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus said this, I give you a new command, love one another. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know that we are disciples of Christ if we love one another. The people around the church could see something different in them and it made such an impact on the community that people were checking it out. It seems that the people of the church were sharing their faith as people were checking out because Luke says that God was adding to their numbers daily. The church grows through the proclamation of the gospel. That is our part as God wins souls for His kingdom. We proclaim, the Holy Spirit moves in their heart, and then lives are changed. Luke says that the church was growing constantly, day by day, so the people were faithfully sharing the truth of the gospel on a daily basis. They were taking the truth of the gospel that they had and they were going out into a lost and dying world and they were sharing that truth and God was being faithful with the message and he was bringing people back from the dead so that people could be part of his kingdom. In these verses, Luke paints a very picturesque picture of this early church. Right? I mean, it seems perfect. I'm sure there were problems that Luke just didn't take the time to mention. I mean, if you think about it, you don't introduce 3,000 new people without experiencing some growth pains. Right? You don't, ex you don't introduce 3,000 new people without some serious infrastructure problems. Right? I mean, could you imagine if we had 3,000 people show up next week? We're going to have some parking issues, right? We're going to have some seating issues. We're going to have some bathroom problems, okay? So I'm sure that there were some issues here. But overall, this version of the local church is something that every church should strive to embody as they worship together, as they live life together, right? This is the goal. As we do kingdom work together, this is what we should be striving for. So at this point, as I'm closing out, I want to ask some questions that I got also from the Tony Marita commentary. He asked uh, some more diagnostic questions, and I thought they were really good. And so I wanted to put them out there so that we could help assess where we are as a church 
when we hold up our lives to the standard that Luke presented for the church here in Acts. So he takes all of this stuff that we have just seen in these six verses and he breaks everything down into four categories. He breaks it down into four categories. Number one, biblical nourishment. Number two, loving fellowship. Number three, vibrant worship. And number four, word and deed outreach. So under biblical nourishment, he asks these questions. Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand the gospel? I mean, this is the most important question that we can be asking ourselves here today because your understanding of the gospel, one, is the difference between being a lost person and a saved person. Right, If you are here this morning and you don't understand the fact that the only way that you can be reconciled with a holy and righteous God is to have a holy and righteous sacrifice, which was Jesus going to the cross on your behalf because there is nothing that you can do to restore your relationship with God the Father. If you don't get that, then there is nothing that you can do to restore that relationship with the Father. So do you understand that? Do you understand that apart from the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, you will stand condemned before a holy and righteous God? Do you know that Jesus went to the cross on your behalf? He paid the penalty for your sin so that you wouldn't have to. He died the death that you deserve and he went into the ground and rose again on the third day conquering sin and death forever. Do you understand that? If the answer to that is yes, how well do you understand that? Are you able to articulate that? Good. Asher can. Your ability to articulate that is going to impact your ability to share that with other people. How well do you understand the gospel? Are you sitting under the authority of the teaching of God's word regularly and humbly? Are you making this a priority? Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Now look, I am not an apostle, okay? I'm not claiming to be an apostle. But what I do is I teach you the apostles' teaching, okay? The canon of scripture is closed. I'm not apostle. There are no new apostles, but I teach you the apostles' teaching. And you need to be devoted to spending time under the apostles' teaching. Whether that be, means your own personal Bible reading or making a point to being at one of the opportunities that we provide for you to learn the Word of God. If you're not devoted to that, and if you're not humbly devoted to that, right? if you are finding excuses for why you don't have to listen to what God's Word says, what is taking that higher priority for you? What, are, what idol are you putting above God's word in your life? Do you have other brothers and sisters speaking God's word into your life? Do you allow them to be that close to you where they can see areas of need that you have in your life and you allow them to speak that truth into your life? 
When you find areas of your life that aren't lining up with God's word, are you repenting of your sin and striving to get your life back on track? Or do you have a tendency to excuse your sin and try to just continue on in it? Are you teaching the Bible to others? Right At some point, you've got to stop looking to be fed all the time and you've got to pour some of that out. Right, The Great Commission is a command for all believers, not just some. When Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've told you, He's not saying for the professional Christians to go do these things. That is a command for all believers. So get your education, get everything that you need to know about the gospel, and then take that and teach that to someone else. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is very clear about the importance of God's Word. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training up in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If we are to be prepared for the work that God has set aside for us to do, we have to be people of the book. We have to be devoted to the book. We have to be persistently obstinate about the book. In the category two, loving fellowship. Do you have fellowship with God through Jesus? Right? That goes along with your understanding of the gospel. Right? You can't have fellowship, or at least not the right fellowship with the church, if you don't have fellowship with Jesus. You just can't. Are you working at building deep relationship with others in the church? Relationships are two-way streets. Okay? You can't be sitting there wishing that someone would connect with you and then not be putting in your side of the effort to connect. You have to put in the effort. You have to work at them. And sometimes we might feel like it's easier to just go at it alone, but we have to remember we're made for community. Right At the very beginning, when, they, when it was absolutely perfect, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Right, We were made for community. Do you show up at meetings and events faithfully? Right, Are you present with the body on a regular basis? I mean, COVID jacked up everything. Like, I mean, we can, we can admit that. We can agree to that. But... COVID hasn't been around for forever, right? It jacked up the last year and some change. But how were you doing before that? Were you present? Do you interact with people at worship or do you just slip in and slip out, right? Are you part of the community here? Are you sensitive to the needs of others in the church? Right? Are you grateful for the people at this church? Right? Do you love each other? Do you look around and give thanks to God for the people that He has brought you to be around? Category three, vibrant worship. Are you worshiping God with the church in large and small gatherings? How do you approach the Lord's table? Do you do that somberly or do you do it flippantly? Right? Paul tells us that if we approach the table in a casual manner, 
that we are bringing judgment on ourselves? Do you attend our worship services joyfully? Right? Do you come ready to worship? Do you experience awe and joy in your Christian life? Are you praying with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you grateful for the privilege of gathering corporately? Like, what we're doing right now is a great privilege. I hope you realize that. Whether we do it inside, whether we do it outside, if you're not doing it from a jail cell, you are doing it in privilege. If you are not doing it with the sense of trepidation because you're afraid that you might get arrested or you're afraid that you might get killed, you're doing it from a place of blessing. So we should come to this place grateful every single week. We should come to this place ready to worship the Lord no matter what our circumstances are from that week. We should be grateful and ready to sing the praises of the Lord and to open up His Word and be grateful that we can do that in relative comfort every single week. And lastly, category four, word and deed. Are you speaking the gospel to unbelievers that God has sovereignly placed around you? Right? That's part of the Great Commission. That is a command that we are to, to give to others. Are you involved in serving people in the name of Jesus? Do you serve the poor? Do you serve the widow? Do you serve the orphan? Right? That's part of the great commandments. We are to love God and to love others. Do you serve the church? Right? Are you active in the church? Now, this is just an assessment. All right? You can ask a million questions and get a million different answers. These questions do a good job of helping us assess the health of our personal walk with Christ as well as the cumulative effect that that has, right? If, if you're doing a good job and 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 we keep a cumulative effect of that, then we have a healthy church. But if you're not doing a good job and you're not doing a good job and you're not doing a good job and I'm not doing a good job, then we're not going to have a healthy church. And this is why it's important that we have fellowship with one another and we hold one another accountable. That's why we should love one another enough to rebuke each other when we see each other going off the path. When we see ungodly characteristics hiding in the darkness. The church is made for each other. Now, once again, the purpose of looking into our lives introspectively is not meant to bring shame. Right? If, if all these questions are coming up and you're like, I'm failing at everything. I'm not doing well right now. Like, look, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. Another one of my favorite passages. Okay? This is not meant to bring you shame. It's meant to bring you hope. We can come back from this. It's meant to simply bring us focus. This is what we're meant to do as the church. The journey of our lives of sanctification is an up and down walk, right? Sometimes we're high on the mountain. Sometimes we're deep down in the valley. But as we go, we need to be walking in it together. 
My prayer is that we can work together to help one another walk with Christ in such a way that God would bless us with the opportunity to see people coming to faith day by day. Just like the early church did. Let's pray together. Father, it's my prayer that you would bless this church. That you would bless us with hearts that are persistently obstinate in pursuit of you. That we would come after you with all that we have. That we would love the church the way that you do. Lord, I pray that if we have looked at some of these assessment uh, assessment questions and we find ourselves lacking, or that we would pick a few of these areas of our life and that we would dust ourselves off and we would pursue after them, or so that we could be a healthy, contributing member of this body. And Lord, help us to be people who are willing to open our lives up and let other people look in and see where we are strong and where we are weak and help us to love each other well enough to be willing to speak into that and be willing to hear it humbly. Lord, help us to look like the early church. I ask all this in your son's precious name. Amen.